Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Bernstein Insights, where we cover trends in the economy, markets, and asset allocation for long-term investors. We're welcoming back Travis Allen, who we spoke with in our last podcast about asset allocation for nonprofit investors. Today, we're going to focus our discussion on navigating periods of uncertainty and other challenges that fiduciaries have as they think through the investment landscape. So, Travis, before we get to that, many fiduciaries wrestle not only with the types of asset classes to include in their allocation, but also the choice between active and passive. So how should they approach that decision? Well, it's actually one of the toughest things that committees have to deal with because very often you have very loud, vocal voices in each camp. Some really believe that the entire portfolio should be passive, uh, and there are others who believe just as strongly that the portfolio should be active. And they both can make very reasonable points uh, about that. Uh, but you know, the, the truth is that the movement towards passive is really boosted by the fact that passive has done well recently. Uh, and there are very good reasons on passive. You get low-cost exposure to parts of the market. You know what you're going to get minus the you know, small fees that are associated with the ETF or the, mu- the passive mutual fund. Uh, and so you're underperforming by a little bit, but you know exactly where you're going to be or should be at the end of the year. And for an organization that's trying to keep a cap on cost, the low fees can be uh, particularly attractive. And it's easy for a fiduciary to say, look, we just got what the market right. offered us for that. Year. The problem is that passive doesn't work in all market environments. There are times, when, especially when the markets are flat or going down, when active managers can add a lot of value by avoiding things that have become overvalued or overconcentrated uh, in, in the markets. And so there have been long periods of active actually outperforming passive, just like we're now at the uh, a period where passive has largely outperformed active. The, the key that I would like to deliver to fiduciaries who are facing this issue is that they don't have to choose either or. They can actually be very thoughtful about putting active and passive together in a portfolio. So, for example, you can take what's called a core satellite approach where your core equity exposure it's really made up of very low-cost passive ETFs or passive mutual funds where you know what you're going to get and it's very low fee. And as a fiduciary, you can represent to the community you're paying very close attention to how much you're paying to have the money managed. But then you can have a portion of the portfolio that's really focused on either providing some downside risk protection in terms of managing the portfolio a little more thoughtfully around risk or looking for idiosyncratic places where you can actually add returns through high conviction, high active share, or highly active portfolios. Uh, And so we think that uh, the two things can actually coexist really beautifully if you're thoughtful about putting them together uh, in such a way that you're getting the benefits of passive, but you're also focused on trying to find the right active strategies as a complement. Many organizations, Travis, as you know, um, particularly the smaller ones, try and replicate what the big guys are are doing this core satellite approach that you just presented? Are we seeing that in the larger uh, not-for-profits? Yeah, it, of course. There's a very wide range uh, of uh, approaches that we've seen so far. But yes, you see more and more large endowments, larger foundations uh, setting up some core exposure, use, utilizing. ETFs or passive mutual funds, uh, and then really spending a lot of time trying to evaluate 
where do I get the most bang for my buck if I focus on active strategies? And so the key is to avoid benchmark huggers, right? You don't want to go out and get an active manager that's really not that active, that looks a lot like the benchmark. You want to go out and find active managers that have high conviction, that are really taking on research-based decisions in the portfolio so they look different from the index. And they actually have an ability to either outperform or to mitigate risk when the market's Go down. You talked about a risk budget earlier in the in the podcast. This is something like a, a fee budget, right? You want to choose where you spend your money so that you can get the most bang for your buck. Let's switch gears a little bit. Committees are, I'd say, in the conversations that I've had with them, concerned about all of the uncertainty in the geopolitical or the investment environment today, um, and so they're considering what to do about their own asset allocation. Given that, how Based on your conversations with them, how are they dealing with it? And I guess what's, what's the right advice that we should be providing them today? Well, most committees don't have the resources or the time, right? These are volunteer committees where they're meeting perhaps quarterly, uh, maybe a little more often or a little less often than that. But they really don't have the resources and the most important one being time uh, to dedicate to managing portfolios in real time in that way. Uh, and so – um, they really should engage with an investment manager who has uh, a process by which they make short-term um, adjustments to the portfolio to respond to changes in the market environment or changes in volatility. I'll give you a real live example. Uh, that in this fall, we will have an election mm-hmm. that may cause some volatility in the equity market. It did last time. It, it did last time. And so the question is, should the committee be meeting ahead of the election and trying to sort out what the exposures are in their underlying portfolios and how to adjust it? I think they're much better served by having a process that's codified in their investment policy that gives their investment advisor the flexibility they need, right, around ranges uh, to make the changes in the portfolio that they need to in real time, but also the responsibility for reporting in real time to the committee what they're doing uh, and why. I feel like that works a lot better than the committee trying to manage those short-term changes that are sometimes needed uh, themselves. Okay, so in terms of a fiduciary doing things well or, or I guess the opposite, how should they be measuring their own success or their investment advisor's success? Well, um, fiduciaries have struggled with this historically uh, because what they've traditionally done is to focus on each one of the individual strategies uh, to try to figure out whether or not they're doing well this quarter or not doing well this quarter. And that, well, you measure, you measure what's measurable. Right. You measure what's measurable, what's easy. And what they really should be doing is, is starting with the mission, uh, the purpose of the organization. Are the funds being invested in such a way? Is the investment policy appropriate and supporting the mission and the purpose of the organization? I think that's always first, and you have to revisit that regularly in order to make sure you're not missing something. Mm-hmm. But you know, second to that, you really have to think about the portfolio versus a uh, benchmark that's equivalent to the amount of risk that they've decided to take. So if you go through in a very exhaustive planning process and select a a 70% stock, 30% bond portfolio as your risk budget, well, then you should compare your portfolio, no matter how complex, to that risk budget. Mm -hmm. Just to say, for all of these decisions we've made around having some alternatives, maybe some inflation services, some in U.S., some in non-U.S., all of these different things we've done, how have those things influenced 
our returns versus a very simplified mix of stocks and bonds at the same risk uh, level that we have uh, decided is appropriate. Those are active decisions that they made along with their investment advisor, obviously, but active decisions and have those worked out and have they been consistent with point number one, your point uh, about the mission yeah. and, and accomplishing those goals. That, that's right. And then I, then I think after you've done those two things, that's when you say, okay, which one of the individual components of the portfolio are doing really well, doing really poorly? Are there changes we need to make? But that should be a part of a process of measurement, not all of it, which is uh, unfortunately what I've seen very often is that committees immediately zero in on the individual services to look at how they're doing over really what is too short a period of time to truly evaluate. And they end up um, being really inefficient in the way they're managing or measuring the portfolio. Right. And now how does um, fees work into this whole mix? So, so fees are essential. We've already talked about the decision around active versus passive, and very often fees are a big part of you know why organizations are making the decision to have at least some portion in passive investments. Uh, I would just say that for most organizations, the key on fees is transparency, that they really truly need to understand that there will be a component of the fees that are tied to the management of the investment services – Right? These are the asset management fees. These could be the uh, embedded fees in mutual funds. All of those fees you have to total up. But then there are also fees that are um, related to the administration and the oversight of the portfolio and rebalancing. And what I've always told organizations is that if you want to make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, make sure you're pulling all of those fees up so you figure out in total – what you're spending, investment management fees plus all of the other administrative or advisory fees together, figure out what you're, you're paying in order to have the assets managed, and then you can evaluate that on a real-time basis and do benchmark comparisons to make sure that you're, you're appropriate versus other similar organizations. Okay, good stuff. Travis, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. We've given a lot of really good advice. Um, do, us, do me a favor and, and just summarize what you think are the key takeaways that our fiduciaries that are listening need to walk away with and back to their organizations to share. Right. I, I hope that first that more and more people who have the expertise uh, to be uh, essential members of voluntary uh, fiduciary boards and committees will do it. Because it is one of the best ways you can take your expertise and give back to some wonderful organizations. But you have to realize as a fiduciary coming into a board or coming on to a committee that there is a process that you have to follow in setting up the organization to be successful over time. It starts with good investment planning and setting the objectives, setting the risk budget, thinking through spending needs, uh, and then it gets down into uh, decisions that you have to make as a committee, which are sometimes tough around active versus passive and thinking about alternatives and illiquids, all of those things that, that we talked about, and then measurement and fees. And uh, for most committees, the important decision that they make, the most important decision that they make is to make sure that they have a good, reliable uh, partner, an investment manager or investment advisor who has the ability to help them deliver on all of these objectives that are really critical to the organizations that they serve. Travis, thanks a lot. Uh, we, you've uh, shared a lot of great insights into this very important topic for the organizations that we work with. And so we hope that you would come back and share additional thoughts as you have them. And uh, for everybody out there listening, thanks very much. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
Bernstein, making money meaningful for individuals, families, and foundations for over 50 years. Visit us at Bernstein.com.